Quick warning before we get started. This episode contains mentions of self-harm. In my mind, usually this time of year, there's this sort of reset for school kids, teachers, and parents. But on this Monday morning, my kids woke up to a line of COVID tests on the kitchen counter. And their backpacks were full of every antibacterial item you can imagine. There wasn't the sense of, new year, new you. It was more like, new year, good luck. As a parent, and I've been hearing this a lot from other people too, it feels like I'm on pandemic autopilot. I'm not even tired anymore. I just feel duty, dread, maybe a little dead inside. Our school is in session, in person, for now. And all I can do is try to be prepared. Because who knows how long that's going to last. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Alexis Diao, in for Martine Powers. It's Monday, January 10th. Today, we take a look at the toll of remote learning on kids. We'll dive into what it's like for school systems right now. But first, we're going to go back in time to the fall of 2021, when, for a brief moment, it felt like things were returning to normal. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona is in the midst of a return-to-school bus tour. And before heading on to Ohio, that tour stopped right here in South Bend. Thank you. Can I shake your hand, sir? In September, the U.S. Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, was on a tour of the Upper Midwest. Miguel Cardona kicked off his return to school road trip. Cardona stopped in Lansing today. Officials are here in Illinois promoting the safe return of in-person learning. I covered it as the post-national education writer. That's Laura Meckler. Last fall, she was covering tons of schools as they returned to in-person learning after more than a year of being remote. Last week... I visited five states and 11 cities. I saw sheer joy. The joy that students and educators feel about being back together, learning in person. One thing that stuck with me was that he was so positive, optimistic. Like he was saying things like, we're on a doorstep of a new day. I am more optimistic about the future of education than ever before. So this all sounds good. But I've been reporting on the pandemic since it began, and I know that there's been just an enormous amount of trauma that's been inflicted on students and teachers. So I was skeptical that just because school was back in session in person that it was all sunshine and rainbows. Earlier in the pandemic, Laura reported on a class as they struggled through remote learning. It's really hard. We're getting called on to stand up and help society as a whole. They're from Burton High School, which is a high-poverty school in San Francisco. You know, San Francisco is a place that's known for its tech fortunes, its multimillion-dollar houses, its enormous wealth. But it's also home to a lot of kids who are really struggling. In fact, everybody I talked to there was really struggling, sometimes with things that were already part of their lives, but they were all just made so much worse by the pandemic and by being forced to do school from home. I'm alone more, and I just think about it more. I don't have to, like stress out over it too much, but then, you know, you can't help but stress. The students who I followed were forced to finish their sophomore years online, and then they were home for their entire junior year. Now they're seniors in high school. 
their last year. And now they're back in classrooms preparing for whatever's next after high school. But I wondered what COVID had done to them, you know, and how they were moving forward. So I asked if I could come visit them to check in and, you know, hopefully just shed a little bit of light on what it's like to be living through this moment. And what I found was both joy, real joy, and also lingering trauma. As we think about where we are in the pandemic, with thousands of kids back to learning remotely, we're having schools disrupted again. Laura wanted to know, how does it affect kids to be isolated like that? And even if they're back in person, do those scars still linger? Laura spent a week at Burton High School last fall trying to figure out what was actually going on in this one school and whether it really reflected what the Secretary of Education had said about the return to in-person learning. Laura spoke with our producer, Bishop Sand, about what she found. Hey, take me back to that start of your trip. Well, I arrived on Monday morning... And the first thing I noticed was how beautiful it is there. I mean, the school is high on a hill on the edge of San Francisco. And you look up from the terrace, you see the whole city, the Bay Bridge, everything. Okay, so, yeah, I usually come here. Uh, A lot of my friends are not here right now, which is kind of weird. I was following Ryan Yu. He's a senior at Burton High, who I got to know during his sophomore year. Ryan often meets up with one of his friends, Jonathan Tran. He, he's another kid who I've been following. Jonathan shows up and grabs some free breakfast from the school cafeteria. The kids often razz each other, and here they notice the cafeteria ladies have been, shall we say, generous with Jonathan's portions. You always get, like, the equivalent of two breakfasts. She told me to grab it. I don't know. She told you to grab it. Ryan's devoted to drumming and band practice is one of the highlights of his day. Even as he's intensely working on his rhythm and trying to get it just right, he's happy. I feel like I'm like getting back into the flow of things again, uh, getting back in the mindset of like learning. And the learning experience is definitely a lot better. I think I've only read a couple pages ahead. Hi, Chuck! I got banned. Another student I got to know was Ambriana Daniels, and she's also in the band. So out there during band rehearsal, the band teacher was doing something that, you know, in the before times would have just been another day, but now feels special. He was giving them a pep talk in person. Tenors, you are going to kill us. Do not rush. I know you can play it. Slow down for everybody else. Turn your music around, 17 to the end. Of course, Ambriana couldn't do this last year at home. I didn't play often because that's because uh, walls between us and our neighbor's house are very thin. And then I kind of have like my great grandma in the house too. And then I, I got dogs. So it's kind of hard to play with them there and then my great grandma. And then also do everything that I do everything else that I need to do in the house. So Ambriana actually has a lot of responsibility for a 17 year old. Her mom has a lot of struggles that she's dealing with. Her dad is not there. She lives with her grandma, 
and her great-grandmother. And here's something that really sticks with me. She sleeps on a couch in the living room outside of her great-grandmother's bedroom. She says she's there in case she's needed in the middle of the night. It's a lot. But what, what about the overall feeling at the school, you know, like in the hallways and in the classroom? Well, one of the things that really hit me was just how much joy comes with in-person school. And, you know, it came out in so many ways. You know, even calculus, which is not something I remember with a lot of joy. But there was, in fact, real joy coming out through the cracks. Valleys is negative to positive. Hills is positive to negative. That's all you need to know. Wait, wait, wait. This is negative to positive? On the derivative graph. And if you want to hear some real joy, just listen to some K-pop music. I swear it will put you in a good mood. The K-pop club at Burton High School met in history teacher Eric Nielsen's room during lunch for the first time since the pandemic. Some people are just doing homework, but they're doing homework in a K-pop environment. (laughs) Then there was this one lesson that really captured the joy as well as the awkwardness and the brilliance of teenagers being with other teenagers. We're going to start with an activity where we share our political opinions. Mr. Nielsen had put a strip of tape down the center of the classroom, and it went from one end to the other. And at one end of the class, there was a sign that said yes, and at the other end, there was a sign that said no. Everybody today is going to be standing somewhere on the line. So then what Mr. Nielsen would do is he'd make some sort of controversial statement. It could be about immigration or abortion or free speech, what have you. And then students would assemble themselves on the line, depending on where they felt, if they totally agreed with the statement, totally disagreed, or if they were somewhere in the middle. Let's start with a really hot button topic issue. All right. But one that I know you all have an opinion on. Number one, Burton is the best high school in San Francisco. But where's Nope? Nope's over here. Yeah, that's not I like it. Uh, you know, I, I think just put Nope. Isaiah starts off. I believe Mr. Nielsen and Coach Bell are fantastic uh, teachers to us. That is proper sucking up right there. Hey, 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 hey. I don't care. You guys are amazing, and thank you. I'm very grateful for what you The activity lasted maybe an hour, but it just flew by. A prompt that got a ton of reaction from the kids was the statement, in America today, it's just as hard to be a boy as it is to be a girl. I noticed that Jonathan, one of the students I'm following, positioned himself strongly against this statement. Uh, Me being a man myself, I feel like a lot of things are taken for granted. Like, for example, I don't have to worry about what time of day that I necessarily walk out on the street. And even in daytime, uh, there's like a danger for women. We always, we're always hearing more about like single mothers more than single uh, fathers. Like there are single fathers, but I feel like the rate in which single moms have to kind of fend for themselves is a lot higher. It's more like, you know, a lot of people think that it's the woman's job to stick with the child. And so I feel like overall women do go through a lot more, even though men do go through some. I think we should appreciate our women a lot more than we do. Aww. 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 
you could see in this one lesson on this one day what it meant for these students to be together in the same room. And truthfully, it's not just the students. It's also the teachers. They really need these interactions too. A lot of teachers I talked to had a really tough time during the pandemic, and maybe none more so than Ryan's physiology teacher, Eugene Pearson. And for him, it was a truly dark and traumatic time. Like a lot of young adults, he moved home to live with his parents for some extra support. In his case, that meant moving across the country. He sat down with me when I was at Burton to talk about that experience. The work was just getting out of the bed. Mr. Pearson was really candid with me. He suffers from both manic and depressive episodes. I, so I am bipolar. And last year was especially tough. The worst of his life, he said. Yeah, I guess I could say that last year I was all over the place. Before COVID, Mr. Pearson managed his illness partly by getting a lot of exercise. But during the shutdown, he was inside all day teaching from his parents' house in Milwaukee. There was one time in particular that I remember I just... It was before a class meeting, and I was in charge of managing the class meeting. They all came to my Zoom. Meaning like the entire... Meaning the entire entire senior class. The senior class. uh And all of the teachers and the administration. And I'm just like, oh my God, I just can't, I can't do this. And I just had a panic attack. He put someone else in charge of the Zoom meeting got up, told his parents he was leaving, and he just walked and walked. I mean, this is, I walked over 20 miles. Uh, And, you know, and my mom, my mom was just understanding. You know, like, I can't imagine what it was like for them. Like, actually, I mean, I was there, but I can't imagine what it was like for my parents to see me in that state. Uh, I mean, they know that the school year is difficult among any circumstances, you know, in the best of years. And it just, you know, it just chewed me up. (laughs) And now it seems, it does, it truly seems distant in a way, in its own way. I'm so immersed in this school year now. And I'm just like, oh my God, I can hardly fathom I went through that. Sometimes we think of teachers as the people who are supporting the kids, and often they do. But for many teachers last year, they were the ones who needed the support. These are the kind of scars that the pandemic has left behind. And those scars are present in the life of the school today. Like at Burton High, teachers say that students are far less mature academically and socially than what they normally see. And they haven't been in school in person since they were middle schoolers. Students are also more addicted to their phones. They shut down and they hide in, in their phone. Right, because as long as I'm in my phone, and you know, no one can talk to me because I'm busy. They're more likely to be tardy for class. Do you feel we need a tardy policy? Yeah. Yes. There's more demand for the wellness center where counselors are on call. More students kind of self-advocating and saying that, you know, I'm not good. One teacher quit because he didn't want to get vaccinated. And 
there is a significant shortage of substitutes. So they have to cover for each other when somebody's out. Um, I hope you guys know Spanish because I do not. I know Spanish. These impacts are still being felt by students. For instance, Almariana, she virtually dropped out of school last year. She missed 40 days of AP English and barely made it through. And now she is still struggling to handle the workload of her classes. I had a B or an A. Okay. But now, <laughs> since I have no Wi-Fi at home, I'm behind on assignments. You, you have no Wi-Fi right now? No. What happened to Wi-Fi? I don't know. Our power went out and then the Wi-Fi stopped working and we were trying to figure out what was wrong. We think it's the bill, but I'm pretty sure we paid it off for a few months, so it shouldn't be due right now, but I don't know. We'll figure it out. As her math class started, students all around Ambriana were chattering and talking to each other, looking at their phones, kind of not paying attention. But Ambriana knows she needs to be serious about school, and she was heads down, paper in front of her, focused, working. The pandemic is still lingering for her. And there's still something lingering for Ryan, too. When did you first notice it, the ringing? Yeah, tinnitus. Um, it's probably like August of last year. Yeah, August of 2020. Ryan's doctor told him that it was tinnitus, which is a ringing in your ears when there's no sound present. Trying to cope with it was really difficult, like really, really difficult. Like the first month I wanted to kill myself. Yeah, yeah. The first. Did, did you actually think about I doing did. that? Yeah, that, like there's like... There's definitely a few nights where, like, the ringing was so loud, and I just couldn't sleep. I was just like, yeah, just could be easier just to take myself out. Shit, I mean, I, can, I don't know if I could live like this forever, you know, for the rest of my life. So, yeah, I definitely thought about it. Like, I was like, damn, like, maybe it should it'd just be easier to just not live anymore. So... Yeah, that, that, that first month was really bad. And especially not having my friends in person, like, was really difficult to, like, process everything. I talked to the American Tinnitus Association, and they said that this is the result of exposure to loud noises, and they say it can happen to young people. Ryan isn't sure how he got this. It might be due to his drumming, but he thinks it also might be due to the headphones that he was wearing so often when he was doing school from home. How is it affecting you today? Going to sleep definitely takes a little bit longer than it used to because of the ringing. Uh, sometimes I get like distracted by the ringing and then I can't really, my, I can't put my full attention on the teacher or what's going on. Um, test taking, when the whole room is quiet and I'm trying to read like a passage or something, can't really focus my full attention because of the ringing. Um, yeah. It's just, it's pretty tough. So it sounds like everyone is dealing with a lot of trauma from the past year. And the seniors, at least, they're, they're moving on soon. And, and I imagine that many of them 
are planning on going to college. So how are they dealing with that process now with everything else? They're trying to figure it out, but it is truly overwhelming. One night I was with Jonathan and Ryan when they were at a college prep program. Ryan is interested in applying to some elite colleges on the East Coast, but he really didn't know very much about them. For instance, I saw as he typed in MIT into his financial aid form as one of the colleges he was interested in, and up popped Cambridge as the location. Have you ever heard of Cambridge? Yeah, the street. (laughs) I mean the city. No. Then I looked over at Jonathan, and I saw he just had his face in his hands. Like, why is it nerve-wracking to be looking at that list? I guess it's just because it's such a big next chapter in my life, and I don't really know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going to go or whether or not I'm going to be able to afford it. Whether or not my family's going to be okay here if I do leave. This really stuck with me. Jonathan was worried about whether his family is going to be okay without him. He spends a lot of time looking after his little sister and after his grandmother while his mom is at work. Can you just hold this right like this? Just hold this like under your chin. Yeah. So Jonathan took me home with him to meet his mom, Linda Hong, and she was talking about what's next for her son. Um, I hope he can make it. to where he needs to be. (laughs) At one point, Jonathan's mom wanted to be a nurse, and she started school to make that happen. But she was a single mom with kids, and she needed a job. So she worked at a nail salon, and the wages are just really low. Now Jonathan's applying to colleges. He's at the top of his class. He has this full load of AP classes. Lots of teachers want to write letters of recommendation for him, you know, but he's really worried about money. And, you know, he's also worried about leaving his family behind. And so, like, all of this is bubbling up for Linda as we spoke. I'm worried that I mess up his his dream. How? Because he can't go to the, you know, do the thing he want to do. Mm-hmm. As a parent, you know, you want your kid to follow their goal. And if they cannot make it, it's kind of like all faults, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. And how do you feel about the idea that he might leave, the go away to college, go somewhere farther away? Um, I feel... Um, worry a little bit, but I know he can make it. I'm worried because when he go far away, what if something happened? Sometimes it's not the college that is bad. Sometimes it's the people that you need to deal with. And they're like, Jonathan's like a little baby right now. And then, you know, have to bloom it out like that. So I just told him his mind have to be strong. So there are many kids like Jonathan who are really worried about leaving their families behind. But then there are other kids who really want to get away from their families. And that's the situation for Ambriana, who just wants to get out of California. 
Okay. I want to know why you want to go to this school so I can work hard. Why do you want to go to the school so you have money? <laughs> she want to get away from home. <laughs> that is one of the reasons, but it's also kind of like what she's I'm ready to start something new, and she's currently considering a historically black college or university. I want to be surrounded by people like me who think like me and have the same goals like me. Be able to like flourish essentially in like a very large and prominent black community like that. That's hey. something I look forward to. I'm hearing this from Abriana alongside her counselor at 100% College Prep, Tasha Lane, who is just so infectiously confident and enthusiastic about her that I feel like if I was a college admissions officer, I would admit Ambriana to just about any university in the country just listening to her talk. Ambriana is a great thinker, like the one. That's all I can say, the one. That's, that's what she is. Yeah, I can't wait to write my recommendation letter. <laughs> I'm just saying, who gets to know the real Ambriana? And here's the thing. Ambriana really could be the one. In middle school, she won a contest called Black Minds Matter for proposing healthy eating options for her school. She actually has a file full of awards. People love her. But you know, over the pandemic, she just really just fell apart, lost her motivation, stopped going to classes, fell into depression. Those are rough, very rough. I'm in the car with Ambriana. We're going to the Cheesecake Factory to meet up with Jonathan and Ryan. And she started opening up about her depression. Um, I actually had a therapist, I think, I think I started talking to her February, early March. Yeah, February, early March. I started talking to her, and we talked, I think, once or twice a week. And it was completely confidential, so my mom had known at the time. But um, overall, like, talking to her, like, I think it really helped, like, kind of clear my head. Yeah. Because it was just like, I think I needed somebody to talk to who wasn't going to have an opinion. I'm just very nervous, because I'm, like, I'm so used to, like, just taking care of other people. Like, do I even know how to take care of myself now? Like... <laughs> just like be on my own because I'm like I'm used to being like just surrounded by people I need to take care of so you started this week of reporting skeptical of all the optimism and the joy that Secretary of Education Cardona had talked about how do you feel after your week at Burton High everyone I met at Burton High School has a reason to tell you why things are not normal it is not all joy. It is not, as we said at the beginning, sunshine and puppies and rainbows. But there is joy. And that's real. And, you know, for me, it, it really highlights, you know, what a school is. You know, a school is so many different things. It isn't just preparing kids with facts and figures and how to write an essay and how to do differential equations. But, you know, a real social emotional development that requires being together interacting together. So I think for this group of kids and teachers and really for a wide range of schools, it's still a real struggle. And recovering from this pandemic is going to take time. This story was produced by Bishop Sand. After the break, we'll get an update from Laura about the lessons learned from last fall. And how schools are determined to stay open this year. We'll be right back.
If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters? And why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now. So, Laura, you went to go visit the school in San Francisco in the fall of 2021. And now we're at the beginning of 2022. You know, spring semester has started. What's changed since then? Well, you know what has changed since then is that we've been challenged yet again with another surge of the coronavirus with the Omicron variant. And so what we've seen is the school system tested yet again. You know, they said, we know what the damage was remote school did, and now you're tested again, what are you going to do about it? And what I think what we've learned is that most school districts, the vast majority have said, we are plowing forward with in-person school, you know, come hell or high water, we are going to make this work. The damage is too great for remote schools. And I think that's what we saw in San Francisco. And I think that that's why you see so many districts, even in the face of some discomfort from teachers, some protests from teachers, in the case of Chicago, outright rebellion from teachers, you have seen districts say, we are moving forward. It was interesting, Eric Adams, the new mayor of New York City, on the first day of school, he went to a school and he said, We are staying open. We're going to do everything that we have to do to keep our schools open. And he's worked hard to make that happen, to keep those schools open, even if there have been complaints, as there always are, from parents, from students, from teachers. And he said, we know that this is what's important. And I think that's what has happened since that reporting in San Francisco, is that everybody has absorbed those lessons in their own districts and said, we have to do what we can. We have to try to keep school open. You know, and I will say it certainly feels different. Not just the Omicron variant feels different right now compared to the Delta and the stress tests that are put on schools. But it also, we know more about how COVID functions. We know more about how to prevent these things. And I think that that also plays into it, right? Absolutely, we know more. For starters, we have vaccines and they're available for everybody over the age of five. So not everybody wants the vaccine. Obviously, that's a separate subject that we've looked a lot at. But If you want it, it is available. And we know that even though you may contract the coronavirus, even if you're vaccinated with this Omicron surge, it really looks like the disease is a lot less severe. So there are a lot more people protected. You know, we know more about masking. We know that masking helps prevent transmission. I think a lot of school districts feel like they have tools that they certainly did not have a year ago. But I also think that there's a sense of like, I don't know if you want to call it bravery or just feeling kind of dead inside where you're like, well, we did the virtual school for a year, a year and a half. Now they went back to school. It was this bright and shiny moment that also kind of felt like a dystopian science experiment. And now things are bad. But as we've seen with these waves of the pandemic, and it kind of feels like This is a high point in terms of case and numbers and that if we can just persevere, at least that's a sense that we can stay on with in-person learning. I think there is a resilience that has been built and a determination. Yep. You know, is that 
everyone's just like, well, that was horrible. We don't want to do that again. I mean, as bad as it was, as you and I both know as parents to have school from home, and as bad as it was for kids, and we've heard their voices too, talking about how difficult it was. It was bad for teachers also. I mean, it was bad for the system. It was bad for learning. It was not good. So I think that's why we see the certain level of determination on the part of districts to stay open as much as they can. Now, everybody isn't. And last week was particularly bumpy, you know, because you had a combination of individual schools closing because of staff out, or you had weather delays, and you had delays in order to do testing. So you had a lot of different pieces happening that felt like the Christmas break just sort of never ended, even though probably most people had their Christmas trees uh, down long before school was up again. But we did see the vast majority of districts remain open. I think the other thing we're seeing is that districts are trying to be much more selective in how they close. Rather than shut the entire district down, they're trying to say, okay, this school, we may have 500 schools, we may have 100 schools, we may have 20 schools, we need to close this one or these 10, and that the rest can proceed. But in some cases, it's not always so easy for cities to stay open Right. I mean, you have districts like in Chicago where teachers have voted to, you know, go back to virtual learning. Well, Chicago is a special case, as it often is. There is enormous animosity in Chicago between the city and the teachers union. And indeed, the teachers union has voted to say that we are not going to teach in person. We don't care what the city wants. We are going to teach remotely. And the city says, well, you don't get to decide this. We're in charge of the schools and we will be in person. And so the result is that there's no school at all in Chicago. For now, we're on day four. So yes, there's a history of bad blood between the teachers union and the city in Chicago. And we are absolutely seeing the latest chapter of that play out right now. They are trying to work on a solution. We will see how long it takes them. But of course, in the middle of all this, are children, right, who are really bearing the brunt of these decisions that they don't really have any say in. I mean, kids have really been through a lot. You know, it's a lot. And I think it's sometimes easy to not see it because it's just one kid at a time. But I think that when you look at what children have had to go through, First, they had the sort of emotional trauma of being away from school, right? You know, this isolation. But it's not like once they went back, it was all over. Now there's this sense of having to readjust. I've talked to a lot of teachers who have said that kids are so addicted to electronic devices and their phones, they don't know how to focus in a classroom anymore. Obviously, keeping kids safe is incredibly important, but there was real academic damage. I talked to teachers who have said that kids that came in this last fall, they were just far behind what they would expect. You know, a ninth grader who would be expected to be able to write a short essay, you know, that that would be a normal expectation for a ninth grader. They come in and they're like struggling to write paragraphs. So this is real. You know, there have been a lot of losses and we're going to be dealing with these for many years to come. Laura Meckler is a national education reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sam Baer and edited by Maggie Penman and Ariel Plotnick. 
I'm Alexis Diao. Tomorrow, your host will be Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening.